I want us to turn to the 25th chapter of the Gospel according to Matthew. We have been studying the parables, and uh, we have come today to the parable of the talents. This is uh, one of the parables which is uh, familiar, at least in name, to a lot of people, but often misunderstood. Chapter 25 of Matthew, I will begin reading from verse 14. And I'm reading from the New American Standard. Jesus is talking about the kingdom of heaven, remember, the kingly reign of God over our lives. For it is just like a man about to go on a journey who called his own slaves and entrusted uh, his possessions to them. And to one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, each according to his own ability and he went on his journey. Immediately, the one who had received the five talents went and traded with them and gained five more talents. In the same manner, the one who had received the two talents gained two more. But he who received the one talent went away and dug in the ground and hid his master's money now, after a long time, the master of those slaves came back, and he settled accounts with them. And to the one who had received the five talents, uh, came up and brought five more talents, saying, Master, you entrusted five talents to me. See, I have gained five more talents. And his master said to him, Well done, good and faithful slave. You were faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many, many things. Enter into the joy of your master. The one also who received the two talents came up and said, Master, you entrusted to me two talents. See, I have gained two more talents. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful slave. You were faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. And the one also who had received the one talent came. And he said, Master, I knew you to be a hard man reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. And I was afraid, and I went away and hid your talent in the ground. See, you have what is yours. But his master answered and said to him, You wicked, lazy slave, you knew that I reap where I did not sow and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have put my money in the bank, and on my arrival I would have received my money back with interest. Therefore take away the talent from him and give it to the one who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has shall more be given, and he shall have an abundance. But from the one who does not have even what he does have shall be taken away and cast out the worthless slave into the outer darkness. In that place there shall be weeping 
and gnashing of teeth. May God bless to our understanding and to our own warning this reading from this part of his word. If there is one area that I never try to claim any expertise in, it's in uh, the area of finance. Someone has said that money talks and all it ever says to me is goodbye. Uh, it, <laughs> it, uh, I'm not uh, any financier and I've often said that people give money out of sheer pity for the agony it causes me to ask for it. Uh, I want to uh, ask you to uh, think today a little bit about money making. This word talent is not um, a skill. The word talent that's used here in the 25th chapter of the uh, Gospel according to Matthew is a word that de is a word that denotes a unit of weight or measure, and uh, a talent um, uh, is is uh, 25 kilograms, and 25 kilograms are 896 ounces. Now, when you stop to consider that uh, when the uh, financier, the one who had this money went away and entrusted to his slaves, and the word slave there seems harsh to us, but it should be remembered that uh, this is an indication of how well uh, some slaves were held uh, in great respect by their owners. Um, uh, here are three who have ability in the realm of trading. And so their master, who is a very wealthy man, is going to go away on a journey. He will not be there to manage his money. And so he is going to uh, try to size up the capability and the skills of three persons and give them a certain amount of money to work with while he has gone away. Remember, the unit is a weight of money. I have said that it is 25 kilograms, which I have learned today is 896 ounces. Now, if the talent were a talent of gold, at the present market value, 896 ounces of gold would be a right considerable investment. Uh, one of my friends uh, told me today that uh, even conservatively, uh, I think it closed on Thursday at $640 an ounce. Uh, that would be about $627,000 just for the one talent man, see. Uh, well, he, my friend today who is a person who has made his money in the area of finance, and I also checked it with our CPA in our church, one of them. And uh, uh, if you just very conservatively put this... Uh, a uh, talent of gold, this 896 ounces of gold is being worth in round figures $500,000 that the one talent man had. My friend says that with that $500,000 in interest, he could make $70,000 a year in interest on that money. So if his master seemed a little put out with him when he got back, uh, you can understand why. Uh, he, he deserved it. Uh, so Jesus is going to teach us, as he often does, uh, lessons that are far more important than having to do with uh, uh, money. 
uh, I am uh, interested in how he teaches because in the parables, one of the most fascinating things about these studies is that he talks about a builder. He talks about people who build a tower and start off and can't finish it, about one who builds his house on sand instead of rock. He talks about a farmer sowing his seeds, about an enemy coming sowing tares. He talks about a judge who is unfair to a widow who comes and persistently hounds him to be fair and finally, not out of any sense of justice, but out of frustration and to get her off his back, he does render a favorable decision. He talks about a physician healing. Uh, he talks about a trader uh, seeking jewels. He talks about a real estate man trading for more real estate. Uh, he talks about uh, rulers. Uh, you remember in the parable about a king that he tells about. Uh, the manager uh, of the estates that we read about this morning. He speaks often about shepherds. Uh, he speaks about faithful and unfaithful servants who are told to work while their master is away. One plays, the other works. Uh, he even talks about taxpayers. That's an occupation. Do you know that? Someone told me today that you spend about five months a year earning the money to pay taxes of one kind or another. So I guess you could call that an occupation, taxpayer. <laughs> uh, uh, he talks about travelers, about vintners who grow vineyards and uh, make wineskins, new and old, and bottle it. Uh, he talks about soldiers who are going out with 5,000 to fight against someone who's got 10,000. He talks about fishermen who cast their nets and take in fish uh, and then wait later to sort them out. And so our Lord Jesus uses these homely stories to get over the great truths of God. And I'm so glad that he speaks to us in language like this. The Bible poses a lot of problems for the theologians, but it is written really for the laity. It is written, that word laity, laos, means people. And you can tell this by the way in which uh, Jesus teaches. Uh, I'm often, the other day at Presbytery, when we were examining a couple of young men who were coming into the uh, ministry and were to be ordained, um, one man got up to examine one of the people to talk about liberation theology at some length, and about existentialism. And I sat back there and I thought, good grief, what would Peter know about existentialism? Uh, what would uh, John or James the fisherman, what would uh, little tax collectors like Matthew, or, uh, these people weren't interested in all these philosophical terms, uh, and yet we have gotten things very much more complicated than we should have gotten into it. So Jesus speaks in terms that they can understand. And he speaks to the people. If he speaks to a woman, he knows how much money it costs to go down to the supermarket and buy two sparrows for supper. Uh, he knows what it is to take a piece of yeast or, or some starter for yogurt and put it uh, in the uh, dough or put it in the yogurt to make it get going. He knows how to, how to relate 
to people in language that they can understand, and so he does it. And here he comes with this tremendous story in which he is speaking, thinking about the Jews with all the enormous advantages that they had of what they had learned from the law of Moses which had been given to them by God at Mount Sinai, for what they had been taught by the prophets and the judges and the patriarchs, for what they knew from the Psalms. He, the Messiah himself, had come amongst them. And yet, the learned religious people couldn't figure out who he was. They did not wish to admit that this carpenter from Nazareth, this carpenter from Nazareth, was the Son of God, the Messiah. Think of it. Sawing away with a saw, planing, making pegs uh, out of wood. Some man might walk by and say, Jesus built my house. Wouldn't that be something? He made some yoke for my oxen. He made the chairs at my house. He made the tables. Listen, we're all a carpenter's apprentice. Jesus, the Son of God, is speaking so people can understand and he wishes to get his message across and to show us what we can do. Now here he talks about some big figures and big money. The Jews have, uh, the Jewish leaders have resented uh, his teaching, I think largely because of his humble background. He made a living for his family, if tradition is correct. Joseph died early and Jesus had the responsibility of uh, taking care of his mother and his family. And uh, then he entered into his ministry. He crammed what one great scholar of the Bible has said all of eternity into three short years of teaching. And here the miracle teacher uh, teaches us this lesson today about what we're to do with what we possess. He said it's like a, a man going on a journey, this wealthy man, and he's entrusting his possessions to three people one, he gives this enormous sum, five talents of gold. One, two, and to one, one. Now the man who received five, he was gone a long time, so there would have been due a lot of interest. When he comes back, the one with five was chosen according to his ability. I played football for a great football coach. He didn't choose me to play quarterback. I couldn't run fast enough and I couldn't throw a ball accurately enough to have ever done that job. He chose me to play guard. And I tried to play it the best I knew how. He chose other people who played tackle and he chose some who played in. He chose us according to our ability and what we could do and what we could manage. And he awarded us suitably for it. Uh, he was a wise coach and he had a championship ball club. Uh, he was looking for specific skills and certain abilities and he put them where they would do the most good. Now here Jesus uh, tells us about this uh, person who has great uh, possessions 
and he is going to be away for a long time, and so he selects according to their ability three people. And one he gives this great sum of five talents of gold, to another two talents of gold, and to another one talent of gold. Now the key to the story is in the one who received the one talent of gold. The person who had five made five more. He doubled it. Uh, the person who had two doubled his. He, he made four out of the two. But the one who had received only one talent was apparently uh, jealous or envious of the others who had received more than he did. And so he took his Lord's money and went off and dug a hole in the ground and wrapped it in his turban and buried it. He was churlish, and he was foolish, and he was stupid, and he was wrong to have done that. He buried it. And when his master asked for an accounting, and the other two came with these tremendous and impressive records, this fellow steps up, and says to him, and I was afraid. And that's what I put for the title of the sermon. I was afraid. We don't have to be afraid of our Lord. Unless we have done wrong. He says, I was afraid. I don't like the way you made me. I wanted blue eyes and you made them brown. I wanted to be tall, dark, and handsome, and you made me short and heavy and bald. You see, we want to fuss, but he made us special. We're as different as snowflakes, but he loves every one of us or he wouldn't have made us. And he means for us not to make excuses, but to use the gifts that he has given to us. The one who had received this right considerable amount of money, by our standards today it would certainly be considerable, 896 ounces of gold. Yet he takes it and buries it in the ground and all he can offer for an excuse is, I was afraid. Why was he afraid? Was it because he was jealous? He didn't want to take a risk with it? buried it in the ground, didn't have any confidence to do what his master had told him to do. His master had chosen him. One of the most successful men I ever saw in the world of finance was Thomas F. Staley Sr. And I remember him. He used to have a funny thing. I hope he'll let me get by with telling it. Uh, he used to keep a trans, he used to keep the record of his report card at Davidson College. And uh, he had these, he was the chairman of the Board of Rental Securities. And uh, uh, these things were everywhere and overseas. And of course, it was an enormous multi-million dollar huge thing, a hundred million bucks. Anyway, uh, he kept his report card and he had someone cleverly to take his name off of it. And uh, he had his transcript. And he would bring in his personnel people from all the 50 states and he would show them this transcript. And he would say, what do you think about this guy? Should we hire him? And they would look at it and they would say, oh, Mr. Staley, whew, you could never use that guy. 
<laughs> whatever you do, don't, don't, don't hire him. Uh, and Mr. Staley would get a great deal of relish out of slyly looking at them and saying, you're working for him. <laughs> and don't you ever forget it. <laughs> and uh, uh, he, he told me that he made money because he, pe he picked people who could make money for him. And uh, our Lord means for us to use the abilities that we have. And he means for us to use them wisely and well. And when we do, uh, the return is far more than earthly goods. I was afraid. Frederick Borum, F.W. Borum, in his great account of this, tells us the parable of the scarecrows. Thomas Carlyle even wrote a, a piece on the scarecrow, a philosophy of scarecrows. Uh, how that in the spring of the year, a scarecrow is placed up in a luscious strawberry patch, and uh, uh, it's put there to keep the, the, the birds from flying down and picking the strawberries and flying off with them. And he said that he was walking one day, and he noticed that this scraggly-looking, scary effigy with old frock-tailed coat with a hat and white gloves stuck out on either side of it, that he noticed a big, fat blackbird sitting on one of the arms. And that this blackbird had eaten so many strawberries he couldn't hold anymore. And he was just sitting there on the arm of the scarecrow resting and waiting for these to digest so he could go eat some more. And he said the other scarecrow, uh, the other birds were flying down toward the scarecrow and the wind would blow the, the uh, uh, garment a little bit and they would fly off. They were afraid. And so he said, you know, I got to thinking that if I were a bird, I would go fly up on some church steeple and I would look as far as I could to see if I could find a scarecrow. And if I found a scarecrow, I'd know there must be something worthwhile down there. And I'd head for that scarecrow because it, it would tell me where something was. Well, we have many scarecrows that exist today. I was afraid, said the man, so that's the key to the parable. I was afraid. Faith is the answer to fear. And if we have faith, then God will do something with our abilities. Look at the church. We're afraid to witness like we ought to witness for Jesus Christ. Dwight L. Moody was a shoe salesman in the city of Boston who was won to Christ by a Sunday school teacher who was very nervous and had to pray for extra strength to go inside the shoe store and witness to Mr. Moody. But when he did, the Lord God used that and the Holy Spirit transformed Mr. Moody's heart. And as a result of it, look how many people turn to the Lord through the great work of Dwight Lyman Moody. They called him Crazy Moody because he would often buy a piece of property when he didn't have a dime in his pocket. But he had a great deal of faith and he used what God gave him uh, to do in the best possible way. He had a rule that he wouldn't let any day pass without witnessing to someone about faith in Christ. And uh, one night when he had started into his hotel, he forgot that he hadn't witnessed to anyone. So he came back out the hotel and grabbed the first guy he got hold of and said, Brother, are you saved? And the man looked at him and uh, uh, he, st he said later uh, that he started to say, That's none of your business. But he said he looked at me so strong that I knew it was his business. <laughs> and uh, that, uh, that meant that Mr. Moody used his ability and the Lord blessed him 
uh, when he used that talent that way. Uh, a couple of three years ago, we had, through the kindness of the Billy Grahams, the chaplain from West Point who came here to speak uh, to our college students. I'll never forget, uh, I had the joy of having lunch with him that day up at the Ruth and Billy's house, and uh, he told about how uh, effective their Sunday school program was at West Point. How many young men in that huge, distinguished military training institution uh, came from homes where they had gone to Sunday school and they taught Sunday school. Uh, they wanted to teach Sunday school to the children of the staff and to uh, the other people in the area. Well, that all started because there were two sisters by the name of Warner, W-A-R-N-E-R, uh, who years ago, uh, right at the turn of the century, uh, lived on Constitution Island and began to think about all those young men there at West Point and how they would like to tell them the story of Jesus and uh, how they began Sunday school classes with them. One of those two, Susan Warner, was the original author of the little gospel song, Jesus Loves Me, This I Know, For the Bible Tells Me So. And she started that Sunday school program. And some of the people who went through the Warner Sisters Sunday School were named Dwight Eisenhower and Douglas MacArthur and a number of others. But they used what they had, and the Lord blessed their witness for him. You see, they didn't say, because I am not a trained theologian, I won't witness, but they used such witness as they had, and it gave great results in the witnessing thereof. That's what I want to get across this morning. The Lord will not hold us accountable for what we don't have. It's not that uh, for me to lie around and say, well, if I, I just had a million dollars, Lord, you know what I'd do with it. I would do all of this and all of that. The Lord isn't going to say, he says, look, I, I'm not interested about what you would do if you had this. I want to know what you're doing with what you got now. That's what you've got to give an account for. Don't talk to me about what you would do with you if you were an angel. Tell me what you'll do now that you're a man. Uh, Joe Bailey, one of my friends uh, who works for Scripture Press up in Wheaton, Illinois. Joe has written, written a little book called A View from the Back of the Hearse. It's on death and dying because he had three sons that died. One was a National Merit Scholar who was killed in a, a skiing accident. He had a six-year-old who died with leukemia. He had a young baby boy who died. Joe knows what sorrow is, but he used his grief and his sorrow to be of assistance to others. And he was a great help in uh, 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 Dr. Kubler-Ross, the famous psychiatrist who has been so prominent in the death awareness movement in this country, uh, has worked a lot with Joe Bailey in seminars, although Kubler-Ross is not a Christian. Uh, when he asked her how she got into this particular type of thing that she does in trying to help people to know how to deal with those who are dying, she said that in Chicago, in one of the largest hospitals there where there were many sick people, that they noticed that the people uh, in 
the ro in rooms that were cleaned by one of the maids seemed to always be more peaceful and have more composure about them when that maid left. So she one day asked the maid to come by her office. And she said to her, tell me what you do when you go into people's rooms. And the maid didn't know what she was talking about, so she said, I do what I'm paid to do. I clean up the room. And she said, no, you don't understand. We've noticed that people in the rooms that you clean up seem to be more at peace after you leave the room. And then this simple woman told of her own experience of her own baby dying in her arm and of the years she had worked in that hospital and of the many people she had seen die and how she could go and pat someone on the shoulder and simply say it's not so bad and leave a word of faith with them. And it stunned this distinguished psychiatrist and made her think this, that people who are powerless People who don't have great gifts, as far as the world concerns great gifts, can do great things on another level. Did you ever stop to think of it, that a man who may be the chairman of the board of Reynolds Securities, if he comes home one day and has alarming symptoms and is stricken with cancer, although he has thousands of people who work for him, his whole world will be changed. And he may have a nurse who is younger than his daughter who is telling him to do things that only his mother told him to do when he was a small child. He is now helpless and dependent upon other people. But even from that position of relative helplessness, we can bear an effective witness for Christ to other people that will be a blessing, a blessing that few other people could ever know. One of the most effective missionaries that our church ever sent out was a black woman who went to the old Belgian Congo years and years ago, even at over 50 years of age. The Board of World Missions did not want to send her because of her age. And so she saved the money to go and paid her own way and did such a good job at it that then they began to take care of her as a missionary. She did that because she loved Jesus Christ and from her humble position she made use. She made use even of her humble gifts in a great way and you can make use of your gifts too. Now then I want to close by saying this. Don't be afraid to use your faith, your faith in Jesus Christ. In the city of Minneapolis, the Central Lutheran Church wanted to have a witnessing campaign. And you know what they did? They had an advertising agency come in and make some huge billboard signs. And the signs said this, in big letters that you could see driving the freeways. I love you. Is that okay? Question mark. And then beneath it, in spikes, 
were simply the initials J.C. for Jesus Christ. And then the telephone number of the church. They were inundated with phone calls that came wanting to know who J.C. was and why J.C. loved them and were they kidding them just putting on an advertising campaign or did they mean it? And it was one of the most effective and influential advertising campaigns there. So you see what can be done uh, with our gifts when they are given uh, to the Savior. Uh, we had Louis Evans here a few years ago, and I was interested in an experiment which his church ran. Uh, he took his officers on a retreat, and after they got back on the retreat, uh, from the retreat, he said to them, uh, he said, we're going to do something unusual. We're going to have an ever-member canvas that's not an ever-member of our church canvas. We're going to go to every single house and apartment that's within one mile radius of this church. And we're going to knock on the door. And we're going to ask the question, not how much money can you give to our church, but is there any way our church can help you? They were literally inundated with things which they could do in their church, in their witness for Jesus Christ to others. So the man said, I was afraid and did nothing, and therefore he received the judgment uh, from his Lord. You wicked and lazy, you slothful servant. Why didn't you do, why didn't you put my money to good use to the, to the bank so they could have invested it? And he was cast into outer darkness. A great judgment came upon him for that. Now, what are we going to say when we go before God and God says to us, you knew about my son, Jesus Christ. You had a Bible. You had Sunday schools and Bible study groups to go to. You had Christian radio programs and Christian television programs that you could watch. You could learn and you could do something that would last for all eternity greater than gold, which is so expensive it's $640 an ounce. Why in heaven they paved the streets with gold? Doesn't mean all that much. But what does mean much is the souls of men and women and that we should win them to faith in Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Our Father, help us not to be afraid to use the gifts that you have entrusted to us. Help us to know that all of us have some gift to give, that if we cannot preach like Peter and we cannot pray like Paul, we can tell the love of Jesus and show he died for all. If there are some here this day who have never experienced his lordship and his love, help that person to know that they are precious in his sight and that he has said, Him that cometh unto me I will in no wise cast out, and that that one this day can give as much of him or herself as she knows how to give to as much of Jesus as they understand, and that he will accept them. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God our Father and the communion and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit our Keeper and Guide be and abide with us all now and forevermore.